Merry Christmas. So good to be all together. <clears throat> Excuse me, been singing. Good to be all together on this really holy day. I'll begin with a chant. Yada yada hi dharmasya glanir bhavati parata abhyutanam dharmasya tadapmanam srijamyaham paritranaya sadunam vinashaya chadushkritam dharmasam stapanarthaya sambhavami yuge yuge. Sri Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, when goodness grows weak, when evil increases, I make myself a body. In every age I come back to deliver the holy, to destroy the sin of the sinner, and to establish righteousness. So that's what Christmas is really all about. It's really all about the joy and the grace of the avatar coming to earth for our sake. Out of pure love and pure compassion, that's what Christmas is about. It's Jesus is an incarnation of God. He is an avatar. And we celebrate today just, excuse me, not only the birth of Jesus, but of his divine counterpart, Mary, the mother of God who was his, the feminine counterpart of the incarnation, his Shakti. It's, um, it's such a joyous season, Christmas. It's probably our happiest season of the year. And it's nice because this is a really good part of the season because we've kind of finished off the more harried parts of Christmas. And hopefully most of our stuff is, oh, the shopping, oh my God, the wrapping. Hopefully all that's done. And we can just like relax into it and we can really start thinking about the point of Christmas, why we celebrate Christmas, why Christmas is important. Um, Mary, I wanted to include Mary because Mary is often overlooked. It's like we have this static image of her as the Madonna, but we don't really think more about her than that, apart from that she's just, you know, holding the baby. But she's absolutely central to the incarnation of Jesus because um, she is his Shakti, his divine counterpart. You know, a few years ago, I gave a talk in East Coast somewhere, and we had a question and answer thing. And they said, how come all the avatars are male? Because, you know, we have Rama, and we have Krishna, and we have Jesus, and we have Buddha, and Rama, Krishna. It's like, where are the women avatars? And I was like, but the avatars always, both male and female. You can't have one without the other. Because Rama came with Sita. Krishna came with Radha. Sri Ramakrishna came with Sri Devi. Buddha came with Yashodara. All of them have a feminine counterpart. Swami Yasheshanada was very fond of saying, there are two sides of the same coin. You can't take the heads without the tails coming with it. So you can't have the masculine aspect of this ultimate divine reality without the feminine aspect coming right along with it. It's they compared it to fire and its power to burn. If you're taking the fire, you're going to get the power to burn too. So that's why the incarnation always has a feminine counterpart. And, that, and with the Jesus incarnation, that feminine counterpart is Mary. When the avatar comes, it's a time of great grace and a time of great spiritual change in the world. And that's really what we, what we celebrate. So Mary and Jesus are both incredible beacons of spiritual light and spiritual power. 
and we can learn so much from them if we just kind of get Santa Claus out of the way and and sort of stop getting pulled into all the, you know, follow law and just the, the, we all love falala, but think of the whole reason behind the falala. I mean, why are we saying falala? Because it's joyful. What's joyful? Because an incarnation of God and His Shakti came to Earth for our sake. That's why they take. That's why they take human birth, out of pure pure compassion. They're not staying up there on their whatever, their lotuses or their thrones. They're coming down and enduring a human birth out of pure love and joy out of the pure desire to bring us. They, they descend, the avatar descends, so that we can ascend, so we can go up, so we can get out of our identification with whatever this is here and remember who we really are, which is that infinite divine reality. You know, it's hard sometimes. Um, people often have a reaction to Jesus because of their um, bad association with Christianity. They have negative, Houston Smith used to call them wounded Christians. But we sort of have to pull apart Jesus from what has happened to some forms of Christianity. It's not his fault. He had nothing to do with it. (laughs) He He was an amazing, amazing incarnation. It's like Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike Christ. You know, ouch. So we have to kind of remember that, and before we get, get, get this kind of twitch about um, Christ or Christianity, it's like, remember what the founder taught. And that's often what we forget, because we see a lot of these external forms, and we see a lot of the dogma, and we see a lot of, the, and we forget that Jesus had nothing to do with that. Jesus, Jesus uh, was not a Christian. He was a very, very good Jew. <laughs> and he was a mystic. And he saw beyond any kind of separation. He treated men and women exactly the same. He treated every person who followed every form of every religion exactly the same. Whether they're Pharisee or Sadducee or, or Samaritan, treated exactly the same with an open heart and love and compassion. And that's what we can learn from Jesus. In the past 2,000 years, Jesus and Mary have conquered much of the world. But it wasn't through power. It wasn't through politics. It was through love and their sacrifice, their absolute unselfishness, and their absolute love that has truly conquered the world. That is what's so amazing. Nothing they did, everything avoiding was anything that what we think gives people power and strength, they avoided it. Simple, common people who changed the world forever. So... It's kind of interesting because when we think, well, who was this Jesus that we're still celebrating his birth like 2,000 plus years after his birth and death? Well, interestingly, I looked on the internet because I wanted to find out, you know, who is the world's most popular person? Who is the world's most important person? Now, according to some polls, Jesus is the most popular and the most important person in the world. Others have Prophet Muhammad, others have Elon Musk, others have a soccer star whose name I can't remember. But, (laughs) really? (laughs) So it shows you what everyone's values are. But what's interesting is that Jesus is still such a central personality and such a beacon of light and like this is the most important person. And it's kind of interesting because Jesus himself said to pray in secret 
and he was almost unknown during his time. It's the other thing is that it shows us that a person's worth isn't dependent upon his popularity or his wealth or, or his longevity. Jesus was extremely unpopular during his lifetime. I mean, he, he, was, he certainly wasn't wealthy, and he died at 33. But here he is today. He's vividly remembered around the world, and he's worshipped today by about 2 billion people, and that's just today. We're not talking about the previous 2,000 years. Why? Because of who he was and what he taught, because of the truth of his message. That is why he's still worshipped today. What did Jesus teach us? Well, he taught love of God, love for our fellow human beings, being non-judgmental, being generous, um, turning the other cheek. Oh, you'd never know it. <laughs> uh, for the world's most popular, one of the most popular people, really, this is what you taught. But still, he's the most popular. Why? Because we crave the truth. No matter what we do, no matter what we say, we still crave the truth. And that's why we still turn to the teachings in the life of Jesus. Because no matter what, truth is what our heart seeks. Truth and that kind of purity and love. These Jesus gave teachings that were so clear and so simple. We can think of the Beatitudes. Blessed are they are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that hunger after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, if we take even any one of them, these are potentially life-changing dictums that Jesus gave so simply. Very simple. No one cannot understand these things. And one in particular is quite extraordinary. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Swami Vivekananda was so struck by that particular beatitude. He said, that this sentence alone would save mankind if all books and all, all prophets were lost. Just that one sentence. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He said, see all as self, not as ego, as self, that divine infant reality within ourselves. See all as self and let all idea of separateness go. All idea that I'm different from you, you're different from me, we're different from those people. Those people like that, but we're like this. Let all idea of separateness go. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And what is that purity? When he talks about pure in heart, what does that really mean? Well, seeing ourselves as divine and seeing that divinity in every other being that we encounter. That seeing that, that the divine within me is the same divine within There aren't like individual little divinities running around the planet. Only one infinite divine reality that we're masking, we're doing a little masquerade with different names and forms and identities. But that's, that's, the, that's the play of it. That's us playing eternal Halloween with our costumes on. But our, the reality is that infinite divine reality within me and within you. And when we love, that's when we put some of these masks down. And we feel this divine presence within, within every being that we encounter. 
Jesus is still powerful today because of the truth that he taught. That's, and that power is still with us today. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important teaching? Just give me one. Give me a good important teaching. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all the strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think every person here can recite those words, one after the other. We could all do it. One, two, three. But the point is, it's, it's easy to, bleh, to recite it. It's really hard to live it. It's really hard to live it. I mean, we like to, to think about it. We like to recite it. We like to know that we know it. But it's really hard to live it. Um, it's hard to follow. But Jesus did. He did follow it quite literally. And that's why his, ring, his words ring true, and that's why he's changing lives even today. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he doesn't mean like the people that we like. He means the people that we have a hard time with. He means the, the ones that we kind of wish weren't on the same planet we were. Can you kind of take that group and just move them over there for a while so I can love these guys and not, not have to even think about those guys? Those people. It doesn't mean the neighbor that we bring a casserole to when they move in or when their mother-in-law dies. It means everybody. Who, who is my neighbor? Everybody. Who isn't my neighbor? Nobody. And that's the hard thing. That's the hard one because we have our ideas about what's, who, who we include and who we don't include, which is why Swami Vivekananda said, let go all idea of separateness. That is purity of heart. And that's, that's when the rubber hits the road. It's a tough one. Holy Mother said, no one is a stranger, my child. The whole world is your own, which is just another way of saying exactly what Jesus did. No one is a stranger. Love your neighbor as yourself. No one is a stranger. The whole world is your own. It's a tough teaching, especially now when there is so much divisiveness, when there's such a magnet going out there through the media and everything else about choosing sides. These people do this, we do this, this. There's so much anger, hatred, fear, separateness. We keep, we keep our side and you keep your side. But this is exactly the teachings that we need to be thinking about now. Because the more that we separate ourselves from other people, the more that we think of, of separation, the more we think of my camp and your camp, what my people do, what your people do, the worse it becomes for us. We create a mind that we don't even want to be in. Who wants to live in a mind that's fearful, angry, spiteful, judging other people, which is exactly what Jesus did not teach? which is exactly why he came to earth to remind us why this human life is so blessed, that we can make a choice to live and think in a way that can bring us joy and bring others joy without making the whole world a big bummer. It's easy to get into when you see what goes on, but the world has always been that. The, all, the world has always had this kind of terror and separation and fear and war and suffering. It's always been like that. And we can, we can grovel in it, we can feel bad about it, or we can pray about it, try to make it better, and try to do our little tiny itsy-bitsy part to make our attitude better. Because if one little thing changes, something else changes with it. If you change one little 
not on a, on a little piss, then the whole thing works. When we can change our attitude, we see the world in a different way. And that's what we want, to see the world in a more beautiful, positive, joyful way, which is why Christmas is so joyful. We, for a while, we kind of put it down. It's like, oh, I don't have to think about that now. Let's, it's Christmas. That's why we love it. Jesus said about himself, I am the light of the world. Now, the light he speaks of is that light of divinity, that divine radiance that's within every single one of us. The Bhagavad Gita says, the Atman is the light. The light is covered by darkness. This darkness is delusion. That is why we dream. And the light comes down, it takes human form to remind us, get out of the delusion. The light is who we really are. That light is is our real nature. Jesus, like every avatar, was the light of the world. And he came to remind us that we, too, have that same light within our hearts. And that our goal in life is to manifest that light and to, to see it and react to it in every other being. You know, it's the light of pure consciousness, the light of pure awareness. And we all have it. We all have it. You know, it's kind of funny. I came to Vedanta when I was a young teenager, and I was pretty much turned off and disillusioned from the forms of Christianity that I encountered because there was no talk of God realization. There was no talk of, you know, changing sort of your character or, or becoming, you know, it's just kind of Ten Commandments and Sunday school sort of thing. There are no sort of mystical teachings that I was taught. But looking back on it, I wasn't really looking for it, was I? Uh-uh. I, I was a teenager who knew everything, so I thought, oh, these people are like that. Now, I'm going to do something else, because I'm, you know, I'm a teenager who knows everything. So those teachings were available. I just wasn't digging for it. So we all get what we want when we really want it. And until we really want it, it won't be there available for us. But we have to want it first, because Jesus says, ask and you shall receive knock, seek and you shall find, knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. So we have to do the seeking. We have to actually knock on the door and not say, that door isn't opened, I don't like it, and move on to some other thing. No, we have to make that first step. And we have to ask, and we have to seek, and we have to really sincerely seek. Because when we sincerely seek, it comes to us naturally. The universe just presents it to us. But we have to make the effort, and we have to be sincere. Jesus said, I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. Jesus is one with the Father, with that infinite divine Brahma, that infinite divine existence, knowledge, bliss, absolute. And Jesus is within us as that light of divinity, the Atman. That is what is made aware, what he made aware for us when he took human birth. Every incarnation, every avatar comes to earth to remind us of who we are, just to, to shake us out of our stupor and to remind us who we really are, why we're here on this planet. And they move us toward that light of divinity. You know, Sri Ramakrishna, when his mother, Chandra Devi, was dying, she was on her deathbed, and he looked at her, and he saluted her, and he offered flowers at her feet and said, Mother, who are you? You gave birth to this body. This means you are not an ordinary woman. You, as were 
Kauselia, Devaki, Maya Devi, Mary, so are you. He names all the mothers of the incarnations. And Mary, like Sri Sarda Devi, lived incognito, very quietly, very unassuming, just living a quiet, simple life, not bringing any attention to herself. She did simple chores, Sri Sarda Devi, Mary, simple village chores, living like everybody else, but they were extraordinary, and they've changed the world. Not being any big things, but just being that infinite shakti, that power that is behind the incarnation. They were modest, they were unassuming. But in the Western world, Mary is virtually the only feminine aspect of God that is venerated. The only one in the entire Western world. It's, it's extraordinary. In fact, there's an entire chapter on Mary in the Quran called Maryam. The only, and she is deeply venerated in Islam. Mary, as the mother of the incarnation, she holds a, a really unrivaled place in, in the history of not only Christianity, but in the history of world religions. It's, it's an, a unique place because Abrahamic religions don't offer a way to the divine through a feminine aspect. It just is not there, which kind of makes it hard because it's like you're looking for something soft and tender, not judgmental. And so there's Mary. Mary is that being who is tender and loving and compassionate and all understanding. You're not going to find her doing judgments. She's available to us all. And perhaps the sweetest and most natural way to approach divinity is through, through a mother, seeing God as mother. Because there's no barriers, there's no sense of distance, there's no separation, there's no distrust. Because, our, you know, when you're a baby in your mom's arms, you're not the baby isn't there thinking, oh my God, what if my mom drops me? It's like a baby never thinks mom's going to drop her, or her, him. It's like very secure. Um, I'm being held by my mother. I'm being held. We're part of one being. And that's the way it is with us the whole time. We just don't remember it. But that's how we approach God as mother, where there's no distrust, there's no separation. The child doesn't feel separate from the mother until she puts the child down. So our mother protects us. She nourishes us. She feeds us. She cleans us. And she loves to do it because she loves us. There's no sense of anything except for love, inclusion. And when we approach divine as feminine, that's what we get, and that's what we're seeking because we don't really want to deal with anyone judgmental. Of course, we're human. We have foibles. We make mistakes. And we don't really want to be hit on the head with a hammer about it. So we turn to a feminine aspect of God. So who's, who was this Mary? Well, generations before she was even born, she was, she was prophesied. The prophet Isaiah said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, shall be, and we should call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We have almost zip, in fact, no, historical information about Mary. All that we know about Mary is included in the Gospels, in the, in the uh, Nativity Gospels. Now, she was probably 14 when she got married, 
and which is about the normal age for, for women to get married during that time. And she was engaged to a much older man by the name of Joseph. Now, Joseph was referred to as a righteous man. But we, when we think of righteous, we think of like a, you're a law-abiding guy. But the word in Hebrew was actually zadik. He was zadik. He was, he was a wise man, a wise man with a profound reverence for God. And then divine grace descended, and the angel Gabriel was sent from heaven. And the angel said to Mary, Rejoice, Mary, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, it's interesting, we, we've heard a like Hail Mary, the, word, the, the Latin word Ave. But actually, the word Luke used in that gospel, because Luke wrote it in Greek, was kaire, which means rejoice. Rejoice, Mary, the Lord is with you. So rather than hail, it's rejoice. That is such, such a more, much more appropriate thing for, for, the, for God taking human birth, and it will be your child. Now, this was not going to be easy for Mary. Like, she's 14, and she's like, I don't know how this is going to happen because it's you know, not going to look good. And because she was troubled at what he said, the Gospels tells us, and the angel said to her, and she wondered what it could mean. And he said, the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. Now, Mary's quite practical, so she said, how is this going to happen? Because I'm a virgin. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come, come upon you, and God's power will rest on you. Now, Mary is looking at a world of trouble here. Because she's engaged to a much older man, she's very young, she's going to be pregnant, and this is going to be very difficult for her in that very small village. It's going to be a tough road for her, a tough road. But her response to the angel is one of the most profound teachings in Christianity, most profound teachings anywhere. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. It's like, yes. Yes. Absolute egolessness, absolute no, complete self-abnegation. It may be tough, that's not my problem. Whatever the Lord wishes on me, yes. That's a tough one. Complete self-surrender to the will of God. Sort of foreshadows what Jesus will say in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he prays to God three times <clears throat> to have what's going to happen to him moved away, can this not happen? Because he knows what is supposed to happen. And at the end of the praying for three times and getting no answer from God, he said, your will be done. Not my will, but your will. May your will be done. Knowing what he's walking into. So Mary foreshadows that with her complete acceptance, her absolute lack of ego that allows her to just be a vessel, a pure vessel that divinity can inhabit in all his radiance. So Jesus realizes what's going to happen. He has perfect surrender. He knows there will be terrible suffering, but that is what the Lord wills. Mary knows she's got a tough road ahead. Be it unto me according to your word. Yes. That it complete, yes. St. Bernard, 
not the dog, but the saint, Saint Bernard, French saint, said, God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus, not because of her virginity, but because of her humility, for her absolute lack of ego. That is why God chose Mary. Mary's lack of ego allowed her to be a perfect vessel for the incarnation to inhabit and also a perfect manifestation of feminine divinity. She never got in the way. It was perfect divinity that went right through her. We can also see Mary's humility, lack of ego, in her deep quiet. There is, Mary is recorded as having spoken only seven times in the Gospels. But she had this mystic union. That's why Mary's always been sort of a model for, for Christian contemplatives. This deep quiet of mystical communion. Reminding us what the Psalms say, be still and know that I am God. That union with the divine. And she taught through silence. It wasn't like she didn't want to talk. It isn't like that she's like kept quiet because she didn't want to say anything. She just had everything loaded into that deep, profound quiet. There were many events that would come to Mary's life. Some of them were joyful, and some of them were tragic, difficult. And every time something comes to her, the Gospels say, and Mary pondered all this in her heart. That's what she does. She takes it in, and she ponders. Like when she went and brought Jesus to the temple when he was um, an infant. And the Simeon, the prophet Simeon, sees the baby, knows who this child is. It's the, it's, it's the Messiah. Holds the child in his arms with joy and then says to Mary, and you will have a sword going through your soul. And her reaction is not, what? But she pondered it deep within her heart. And then when they went to Jerusalem, and they're looking all around him, and Jesus is a young boy, and they're looking all over for Jesus. They've got to go home. Where's the ch- they're looking everywhere, looking everywhere. And Jesus comes out and says, why are you looking for me? You know I must be in my father's house. And Mary ponders that deeply within her heart. She takes it all in, and again, that profound acceptance, that lack of ego. She was a woman of extraordinary strength and intelligence and real independence, or else she couldn't have been able to do it. Her lack of ego, along with her purity and compassion, is what we can really learn from her. It, was, it never comes easy, and it requires great strength. In fact, it was Mary who prompted Jesus' act of teaching, because this was all at the wedding of Cana. They're at the wedding of Cana, and Mary says to Jesus, they have no wine. Simple sentence. Jesus says, what is that to, to you or to me? My time has not yet come. She, she doesn't bother to answer him. It's like she tells the servant, whatever he tells you to do, do it. It's like, okay, mom says. So, well, um, that's exactly what happens. Jesus tells the, um, the servants to bring him six jars. Now, these jars are not like your little, you know, things you put the jam in. Each jar holds 20 gallons of water, so, and he turns them into wine. So this is not for a little wedding party. It's like a huge amount of wine. So basically what he's doing is he's announcing that he is the Messiah. 
that he has come. She's the one who decides now is the time. This is why, because Mary has done that, this is why Mary is seen as the intercessor. When Jesus or some can, can be hard to approach, go to Mary. Go to Mary. She'll, she has a soft spot in her heart. She will, she, will, she will make things happen for you. She's seen as the ultimate refuge. There's so many medieval stories of sinners who've sold their soul to the devil, and then they realize when they're down in the pit of hell that, oh my God, that was a bad mistake to sell my soul, and they pray to Mary. She goes down there, drags them up. That's what we learn from the Divine Mother. They're there for us. You know, Swami Asheshinada often said that... Sri Ramakrishna was the method, and Holy Mother was the grace. And I think this can be extended to all incarnations, that Jesus was the method, and Mary was the grace. Yes, Mary was the grace. That's why avatars and their shaktis come down to earth. That's why they teach us. That's why they have, we need both sides of the coin to teach us. We learn from their teachings, and most of all, we can learn from their lives by their actions and what they don't act upon. And this is important for us to remember. The quiet, the, the contemplation, the open-heartedness, and all the joy that that can bring all of us. And so on that note, I'd like to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Oh, that was lovely. Thank you. Thank you. So we have some very important announcements today. First of all, come down because we have a Christmas coffee down there in Convent, which is right down there through the parking lot. We would love to have every single one of you down there having some coffee and none-made cookies, 100% butter. We don't believe in anything else. <laughs> and coffee, real coffee, fresh ground this morning. And um, we've got some other good snackies, so it's not all sugar. It's got some other delicious things, and we'd love to see you all individually down there, so please come and join us. And tonight, please come back. Yes, come back tonight, because we have sing-along Christmas carols, and there's nothing more fun than singing Christmas carols. It's just pure joy. So we have Vespers. It starts at 6. The, the, the uh, Vesper songs are over by t called quarter after. And then, though it's nice to be here for that, too, and then we will start our sing-along Christmas carols. There'll be music out. So please, all of you come to that. And I know there should be something here saying what the next talk will be, but I do know it will be Swami Haranamanada speaking on counseling. Okay. Practice of seeing God in others? Of practicing divine on others. Okay. Um, I know he's been very involved in doing some uh, counseling in uh, hospitals and stuff and other things. So it will be, I'm sure he gives a, he always gives a wonderful talk. And I think we'll enjoy it. So on Wednesday, there will be the reading from Swami Akandananda. On this coming Saturday, there will be a reading of the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. And then on Sunday, Swami Haryanamananda. And I will conclude, it's, I'm concluding early, but I thought we all, we all would want to go down for some co coffee and cookies, right? Let's, let's get to it. Okay. 
online. I'm sorry, guys, you've got to make your own coffee and cookies. I wish you could be here. Tough. <laughs> Join me in this chant. Om Pur Namadav, Pur Namidam, Pur Nat, Pur Namudachate, Pur Nasya, Pur Namataya, Pur Namevavashishate. Om Shanti 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 Om Filled with Brahman are the things we see. Filled with Brahman are the things we see not. From out of Brahman flows all that is. From Brahman flows all, yet Brahman remains the same. Om peace, peace, peace be unto us all. And Merry, Merry Christmas. <laughs>